You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is a season 12 bonus episode. This year, I've had the opportunity to participate in several creative arts gatherings, including Loom, the Hope Words Writers Conference, and here recently, the Guild Conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. The talk I gave at the Guild is a call to take a look at the mindsets we are cultivating in our lives and a reminder that what we feed is what will grow. Are we feeding a mindset of abundance or one of scarcity? Is our inner framework one of hope or one of negative anticipation? I wanted to share this live talk with you as an encouragement to consider how the mindsets we keep determine the quality of art we make and the lives we live. And lastly, as we're on the subject of live creative arts events, I wanted to remind you to take advantage of early bird ticket prices for the Breath and the Clay 2024, taking place in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, March 22nd through the 24th. You can see the show notes of this episode for links to the Breath and the Clay. And if you're a visual artist, you can find links to submit your work to the gallery. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is a special bonus episode on the mindsets of abundance and scarcity. Today, I want to share with you guys about mental health and the artist. And I want to talk to you about two mindsets, scarcity and abundance. And as artists, we can tend to gravitate toward one or the other of these mindsets. And I think that understanding the difference between scarcity, a mindset of scarcity, and a mindset of abundance is vital for our own mental, emotional, and spiritual health. It's also vital that we understand this for our creative health. Most every situation that we face in life gives us the choice of responding in scarcity or abundance from a mindset of blessing or a mindset of lack. And, you know, I was thinking this morning at 4 a.m. when I woke up and sleep decided to vacate the premises. And I was thinking about everybody here. Have you ever thought about all of the major symbols of God in the Bible, a lot of them are also used as symbols for the devil. Is it the lion of Judah or is it the roaring lion seeking to devour? Is it the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve or is it the serpent bringing healing on top of the staff of Moses that we were actually told to look at. Did you know that in Revelation, it calls Jesus the morning star? And then in the prophets, 
it refers to Lucifer as the bright and morning star? Or what about David's census? Remember when David got in trouble because he took a census of Israel, right? Well, there are two accounts in the Hebrew scriptures of this census. One of the accounts gives credit to God, saying that God prompted David to take this census. The other account says that Satan prompted David to take the census. So what is going on? I think that our mindset determines what we experience creatively and in life. And we can look at the same situation completely in two different opposing views and both of them may have truth to them. But what is the mindset that we're going to cultivate? I don't know about you, but my mind tends to gravitate toward the negative like this pull, this inertia that just wants me to believe that the apocalypse is upon me right now. You know what I'm saying? It's like my mind tends to go to the negative. But I don't think I'm alone in that, that, that our mindset can tend to devolve or, or uh, the inertia pulls us to the negative. And that's why I think the mindset of abundance is a spiritual discipline that requires cultivation. And I think that just like any art form, it requires practice. It requires intentionality. It requires a steadfastness to go after this. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he says, to paraphrase, we must live life as if we are meant to be a work of art. See, here's the thing. I didn't grow up in the Christian community, and so it was a bit of culture shock. Church language is still not my first language, if I'm honest. <laughs> so when I kind of came into the community of faith, it took a little while to get acclimated. And after 26 years, I don't know if I'm quite acclimated yet, but I'm getting a little closer. But the reason I bring that up is because... Why did I bring that up? <laughs> So Abraham Joshua Heschel <laughs> said that we must live our lives as, we, as if we are a work of art. Here I am. So I kind of thought that character development was just a byproduct of hanging out with Jesus. But I figured out in my own life the hard way that that really wasn't the case. But this thing called discipleship was necessary for artists as well as the rest of us, you know? And... And so I've been on this journey of moving from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. That's the work of discipleship in my heart right now. Scarcity says this always happens to me. Meaning something didn't work out as you had hoped. We project a universal negative condition onto a specific circumstance. And then we spiral into an unhealthy mental state of mind. But what if we flipped this narrative? Because abundance says, in everything there is grace. 
In everything there is blessing. In everything there is abundance. In everything there is redemption. My darkest night is the greatest opportunity to experience mercy. You know what I'm saying? And I think that part of this work of salvation is disciplining our minds to think in accordance with the mind of God. And often this requires us to move beyond the now. Here's where it gets woo-woo. Can I get a little woo-woo? It requires us to move beyond the now into the not yet. And this is the prophetic posture of the artist. This is our invitation as artists and creators to move not out of the moment, but to be anchored and rooted and grounded in the moment and from that anchor to move. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting a, a wispy, I've already lived that hippie life. I don't need to go back to that. You know what I'm saying? But in rootedness and groundedness in the moment to move beyond the now into the not yet. That's the prophetic posture. And that's what we as artists get to do is that we get to go into the invisible and bring it back to the visible. Have you ever thought about how the incarnation word made flesh is the immaterial becoming material? It's the imagination is the language of the spirit. And as artists, we have the invitation to reach into the not yet, into the spirit, and flesh those truths and those realities out through a song, through a poem, through a movement, through a sculpture, through whatever medium it might be that we're working in. This is the prophetic posture of the artist. This is creative vision. This is the mindset of abundance. Who was it that said inspiration is for amateurs? But the mindset of abundance says, instead of, well, I'm just waiting for inspiration and then I'll get to work. The mindset of abundance says, if the spirit sees me working, he might get jealous and show up. (laughs) I like to use playful language like that. You know what I'm saying? But the mindset of abundance assumes that inspiration is already there waiting. The mindset of abundance knows that we can reach into the resource of God himself who is inexhaustible. And we can pull inspiration for our our creativity as well as for the mindsets that we're talking about. Now, I wanna say this, there is no mental health when left to our own devices, at least not for me. I think that the only sure way of having a healthy mental landscape is getting the mind of Christ and abiding there. And that's not easy, but it is sure fun. And I think that's why I gravitate toward the mystics so much because the mystics were not satisfied talking about God. The mystics were those that said, I want to reach into the transcendent and pull it into the imminent. I have to have union with the presence. That's why I love the mystics. And they're wild and nobody knows what they're talking about, so I I relate to them. But just to show you that I can talk church language a little bit, here's a scripture for you. The feeding of the 5,000. 
my beautiful wife, Sarah, who's my family is with me here. We should all give them a shout out. Yeah. Sarah says, whenever you don't remember the scripture verse, just say, it is written. <laughs> so, it is written that there was a lot of hungry people in the desert. And the disciples were a little uh, perplexed. They were worried. Where are these people going to get food? They were noticing the lack. They were, they were looking around and seeing what they did not have. And they were worried. And you could look at that from a natural perspective and say, well, they had reason to feel that way. 5,000 plus people in the desert. There's no food around. What are we going to do? And I love the mischief of God. If you hear me speak at all, you'll always talk to people, what is your favorite characteristic of God? Is it his holiness? Is it, is it the mercy of God? Well, I love all those things. My favorite characteristic of God is the mischief of God. You know, Jehovah Sneaky, the, my, the, the, you know. So Jesus says to the fellas, you give them something to eat. You don't, you give them something to eat. And I can just see the look on their faces now, like, okay, what are, what are we missing, guys? And then he says, okay, what do you have? And I love the countercultural nature of that question because they were looking at what they did not have, they were looking at the lack. They were looking at the problem. They were looking at what was not working. They were looking at the fact that they didn't have inspiration. They were looking at the fact that they didn't have substance. And he said, well, what do you have? It's easy to look at what we don't have. We naturally gravitate there. And what did they have? They had one little boy's lunch. And Limitation has never seemed to be a problem for God and for the creativity of God. And he said, just have everybody sit down. And what did he do? He gave thanks for the nothing that they had. He gave thanks for the not enough. He gave thanks for the trouble. He gave thanks for the, for the unresolved problem at hand. He gave thanks for the unknown. He gave thanks to what looked like inability. And I came up with this phrase once, and it came back to me this morning. It said, thankfulness disarms the math of bitterness. Thankfulness disarms the math of bitterness. We can calculate and have all the right reasons to be bitter. But thankfulness disarms the math of bitterness. It undoes the equation because there's always that unknown factor which is the mischief of God. And if you're not leaving room for the mischief of God to show up and mess everything up in your art and in your life, you're missing out on part of the fun that's kept me walking this crazy path for 26 years trying to stumble my way into grace. 
Here's what I want to say. The creative mindset is the mindset of abundance. This is why the stereotype of the tortured artist doesn't work for me. I understand the mindset of the tortured artist. I've lived it. And sure, the depth of our pain can be an incredible resource for creativity. And, but even in that, what is the artist seeking to do but to find healing or resolve or to come to terms or to transform or to expose some wrong in their experience or in the world? So it isn't the tortured artist that brings healing to the world or manifests lasting works. You ready for this? It's the wounded healers that brings life-giving works of art from something destructive. Even Samson said, out of the eater came something to eat. And I think that when we take our pain, when we take our disappointment, when we take our uncertainty, when we take the past that we cannot change, when we take our failures, when we take all of these things and we bring it into that place of communion that says abundance is available, that's when our creativity mixes with that eternal creativity and then some crazy, awesome, mischievous stuff can happen at that point. We are the architects of hope for our generation and for the generations to come. And what that means is that we just flow countercultural to what the world says, even what our own mindsets tell us. And we offer the world something that comes from a higher economy. And our art has the ability to do this when we abide in that mystical communion with the Spirit of God that we've all been invited to. That union that bypasses theological understanding. I love theological understanding. I love arguing with my friends over Nephilim and very important things to get right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if my theology does not lead me to encounter, then I'm only patting myself on the back for how smart I think I am. And I don't pat myself on the back very often, I guess. <laughs> Let me give you one cautionary tale. As artists, we must be wary of the tyranny of the familiar. The familiar can dull our senses. It can steal our ability to see wonder, to see abundance, and convince us that the way things are is all there is. But as artists of faith, or even artists stumbling toward faith, we are those who are called to see into the Spirit and bring back the gifts that we discover behind the veil. We have a choice to live as if nothing is a miracle or as if everything is a miracle. But for me, there's no in-between. The artist is one who is invited to live as if everything is a miracle and then we get to remind our friends and family of that reality. I'm bringing this to a close, said every lying preacher who ever got behind a pulpit. 
Since the Enlightenment, many would say that we're living in a disenchanted world. Max Weber was a sociologist who first came up with that term. And a lot of people now would also say that we are living in a post-Christian world, right? Some would say that we've moved from a mythical view of the cosmos to a rational or scientific view of the universe. But I think that we are living in a re-enchanted world. Not that we're going to live. You see that mindset change? Uh, I'm, I'm modeling what I'm talking about. See, Jesus' people have always been the counterculturalists from the beginning. I think that's why I identify so much with the beatniks and the hippie culture and all of, you know, Abraham's acid house, all of the, the counterculturalists. It's, it's because I see the DNA of the Jesus follower in the counterculturalist. And whereas the world says we're living in a disenchanted era, the artist of faith says, no, we're living in a re-enchanted era. My friend Vesper Stamper, she's an author and illustrator. She says, I think we're living in a pre-Christian world. The world is still groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. It's all a matter of abundance versus scarcity. And one of the primary ways we make this transformation is by living the incarnation, living as if the transcendent has become imminent, living as if God really is in our midst. And so I think that as much as I love approaching the scriptures from a historical, let's even deconstruct it. Come on, let's get down to the nuts and bolts. I don't want to believe something that's not true, right? I, I want to know. Okay, uh, let, let's talk it out. But if my only approach to scripture is a historical account or a quasi-historical account or even a doctrinal treaty on human morality, then we rob the scriptures of their transformative power to clothe the invisible and make known the unknown. Scripture and our engagement with scripture. Next time you pick up the Bible, think this. This is a doorway into communion with God. And the moment I open this, I can be transported into an eternal realm. Each time we open the scripture, it can be a doorway into the eternal presence of God. Listen, I love the historical approach to the scriptures. I love the doctrines. But if we stop there, we miss the transformative power to clothe the invisible and make known the unknown. And you could say that to any of the spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, meditation, worship, generosity. The goal must be communion. All right. And here's, here's the real warning. We are called to abide in hope, in wonder, in the belief that transformation is occurring and will continue to occur until we see the fullness of that kingdom of love manifest in our midst. But if we neglect to nurture this mindset of abundance, we will devolve into selfishness and animal behavior. The mindset of scarcity will eventually lead us to betray God, ourselves, and those we love. Because scarcity can be seated right in the middle of abundance and we'll feel the lack. 
The lack will lead us to take what's already been given. It will lead us to move in ambition rather than grace, in haste rather than patience. It will cause us to grasp after things God has either promised or provided. Scarcity leads us to act in fear, self-protection, and self-preservation. I've got to take for myself or I won't have what I need, right? But the abundant mindset is a shift in our perspective that comes through discipline and training our mind, right? Like any other art form, we practice it. We give time to it. We cultivate daily habits. We talk to our friends about it. And so that's what I, that's what I want to leave us on today is, is this invitation. I don't want to call it a challenge. An invitation to enter into the abundant mindset. An invitation to walk into the mischief of God, the wonder of God, the wink of God that says, God is in this place and I didn't even know it. So that's what I got. Thank you guys.